Welcome to SEC Unfiltered, home of the best SEC content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi entry guys. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sports entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports. Pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of, they have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews as well. Guys, so many fans and listeners of SEC Unfiltered have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. Well, so again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from SEC Unfiltered sent you. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He joined the show. Jake, what's going on, my man? Rocking the Liberty hoodie. Did you feel like feeling like a loser to start off 2024 after that game yesterday? Rocking the, the Liberty gear. Uh, No, to be honest with you, I, I kind of totally forgot I had this on. Hugh Freeze actually sent this to me when uh, when he was at Liberty and, and one of those Hugh Freeze uh, bobbleheads. So, uh, 
No, look, I mean, uh, Liberty got absolutely drug. Uh, everybody thought that was that was going to happen. Um, you know, they really couldn't compete up front. Oregon knew that. I knew that. Bo Nix was in there to break the record. And that, that took him about, you know, 12 minutes, about a quarter and a half. But no, man, I mean, uh, after yesterday, and, and as fantastic as both of those games were, in really totally different style of games, but both, both very competitive, both a lot of fun. Uh, I am a little sad, though, because college football, man, is pretty much over season-wise. I mean, we got one game left. You know, we got the senior bowl, and I love that. Shout out my guy, Jim Nagy. Can't wait to get down there and have a, have a uh, blast down there on the bay. But, man, it just always goes by so fast. And I want to apologize, Jake. I feel like I opened up a little bit harshly. I do like the hoodie, by the way, and the fact Hugh sent it over is, uh, is no, good Chris, looks look, from Coach Chris, Chris, <laughs> you know um, – I, I love it. I love bring it. Uh, you know yeah. me. I wake up and shoot. Hey, I just think it's we, it's more years. proof we need a G five playoff. That's what I. That was my takeaway. It was like yeah. Liberty well, and Oregon shouldn't be playing for the same trophy here. No, I. You know, here's it's weird because we've interviewed G five coaches and and they're like split on it. They're like split halfway. Uh, half of them want their own playoff. The other half don't. I think the half that don't want that group of five playoff. Are, are either at a spot that could possibly transition to Power 5 and see success, you know, like we all thought Houston at some point could do, you know, to place like Tulane. But most of the guys that are at your normal run-of-the-mill G5s, they want their own playoff, man, and, and they should have it. Jake, let's start with the first important question. How did bowl season treat you from the gambling perspective? How did you come out uh, when it comes to the gambling side? Uh, well, you know, it was I, I was in the green um, pretty decently. It wasn't wasn't just dominating, but but was winning money and then hit a uh, five hundred dollar parlay after Ole Miss uh, took care of. But I had Ole Miss plus three and a half. I didn't have a money line, um, even though I picked them to win on, on our show. But when a uh, nine leg, you know, it was nine leg five hundred dollar ten to win five hundred. Kind of an underdog parlay, man. I had like Boston College to cover, Georgia Tech to cover. Uh, and then Ole Miss there. Then I had Missouri money line. So yeah, ended up uh, sweeping up, man. I mean, our end of the year numbers are insane. It's it's posted on social media. I think we all. I mean, I ended up like plus twenty five units in college football. Blaine is like plus thirty six units in the NFL because he keeps hitting these first touchdown scores. Like I'm waiting <laughs> for somebody like in suits with briefcases to show up at my brother's house. Like that's how <laughs> weird this has gotten. Jake Crane of Crane & Company joins us every week. Jake, let's go ahead and get into what happened yesterday and last night. Alabama and Michigan. The Michigan Wolverines take down Nick Saban & Company 27-20, overcoming special teams blunders left and right. Alabama, obviously, the deficiencies on the offensive line, surrendering six sacks. And there was the final play call, which I know many, many were critical of. Your thoughts on the game as a whole? Did anything surprise you in that ball game? And then, Thoughts on the final play call as well, Jake, because I've seen some say that it was supposed to be an RPO, the low snap, wrecked the play, and then I heard Nick Saban after the game say that it was a quarterback run. Yeah, so it was Q power. Yeah. It was a power. Okay. I, let's, yeah, that, that's, that was Q power. And well, right, right. Listen, uh, for, first off, on, on the game, um, I, I thought we got two fantastic games last night. Like I said, they were a little bit different. There were some things that really surprised me. Uh, I thought each team got too cute, but in a different way. Alabama, in the first half, reverted back schematically to pre-LSU Bama, which I'm telling you, you Chris, and number one, congratulations on SEC Unfiltered, my friend. Um, it's it's fantastic product already. Re really enjoy it. Um, 
the first half play calling was pre-LSU Alabama. If you go back and watch, it was almost like when Bama played LSU, they were like, all right, we're going to have to probably score 50 to beat LSU, which you can on that LSU defense that made Wisconsin look like the Harlem Globetrotters. Did. But but they kind of, of, during the LSU game, called plays and had the game plan tailored to what Jalen Milrow does best, and that's being versatile. Jalen Milrow is not a pocket passer a la Dan Marino, a la Michael Penix, really, that needs to sit there and just beat you from the pocket the whole game. That's not not that he can't, but that's not his best move. You know what I'm saying? He's more a break dancer than he is, you know, Waltz. He, he's a guy that you need to move the pocket. You need to have quarterback designed runs. The RPO game needs to be strong. But it's almost like that Bill O'Brien comment made them revert back to, well, we're going to prove to everybody that Jalen Milrow is really a Drew Brees-style player. That's not who he is. Then in the second half, you saw him mix in those RPOs more, the QB design runs, and they had more success. So I was baffled that that was the game plan by Tommy Reese going in against a Michigan team that you weren't just going to line up and bully up front and beat from the pocket. I think Michigan was as shocked as I was in the first half. Now, on the Michigan side, they were running the ball down Alabama's throat early. But they would gash him a couple times and then throw it three times in a row. Or, or gash him a couple times and, and then just drop back pass on first down instead of running play action. It's It was almost like everybody knew you were going to your right. You went to your right and scored, but then you just decided to go left just to go left. Like And, and finally, it kind of the adjustments figured themselves out. But there were two constants last night. One, Michigan's defense was incredible. And look at the, the step that Michigan had taken. Chris, we remember seeing these Big Ten teams or these teams outside of the SEC that maybe they could compete up front, but they're getting melted in the back end. They just didn't have the cats. Maybe they can compete in the back end, but they're getting slaughtered up front, a la Bama's run with, against Notre Dame and, and these other cats when they used to dominate. Michigan had it all last night. They could bully you. They, they could fight with the bullies up front. If Jalen Milrow had time, which I know there are a lot of sacks, but there were some places where he had time, they were able to cover guys in the back end. And it seemed like Alabama could never really hit that big scramble play. I call them etch-a-sketch plays where the play breaks down and you just got to create something. Um, so so that was kind of the bad. And, and then the good was obviously Michigan's defense and how bad Michigan's special teams was. They gave Alabama 11 points. You dropped a punt inside your 40. You missed an extra point. You missed a field goal. You spotted them 11 and you still won. I think that shows you how good this Michigan team is. But make no mistake, neither team, I thought, played complimentary football very well last night. Michigan was just better when they had to be at the end than Alabama. And, and on that note, Jake, I think was one of the things that was most surprising to me was, you know, I really expect in the second half when, when things got tight, I thought it would be Alabama that would rise to the occasion. I was really impressed with the way Michigan, you know, that, that last drive was as clutch as you'll see. And it's like Bama had opportunities to deliver that knockout punch, that knockout blow, and take control of the game, and they just they just never did it. They just couldn't do it, and uh, that that surprised me a bit. Well, I, it, it was it was Michigan finally getting over the hump. Like we see this in waves, right? Like you saw. Remember, it was it was Georgia. Georgia just couldn't get past Bama. They just couldn't get past. They get they take another step, then Bama would beat them. They take another step, and then Bama would beat them. It took them a couple years to get over that hump. It seems like Michigan got over the Ohio State hump, and then they've, they've gone through this chapter by chapter, right? 
And it finally got to the point where that same group of guys, and this is why I picked Michigan to win the national championship. When all year people were saying, oh, Michigan's schedule sucks. It's a joke. We don't know how good Michigan is. Yes, we do. Their whole team's coming back. I've watched Blake Corum do this for a long time now. I've watched J.J. McCarthy and Roman Wilson and the guys they have up front do this for a long time. I know who Michigan was. Georgia was more unknown to me going into the year than Michigan was. That's another reason I picked them. So uh, to see Michigan finally not blow it, yeah, that's new. But that's what happens when you have experience returning, the unteachable intangible. So, you know, uh, again, and, and people will say Michigan's schedule was soft. Uh, okay, well, look what they're doing now. You know, they just took out Ohio State. They just took out Bama. And now you got to play a Washington team that Washington's strength in some ways is Michigan strength. These are two old teams. And when you have two old teams, they don't panic. That's the difference. It's the old bull, young bull sitting at the top of the hill staring down at a herd of calves. One wants to run down there. The other one wants to walk down there, if you know what I'm saying. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, Jake, Bama lost, <clears throat> excuse me, Bama lost this football game for many reasons outside of the last play, but obviously that is the one that most will remember, and that's the one that's highlighted. That's the one that will be talked about today. Your thoughts on that fourth down play call from the three-yard line? Well, you know, I, I, I even tweeted this out before the play. I, I thought they were going to run that little, that split zone bluff. You know, what Michigan scored on, their, their touchdown before, when they hit Roman Wilson, when he goes in motion and you fake it to the back, and the guy that's supposed to be sealing that line of scrimmage bluffs the edge, the edge defender, and then you hit him in the flat for a touchdown. And it looked like that's, when they li- that's what they lined up to run. You had the tight end opposite the back. The tight end would have split to the field at the snap. Fake to the back, Jalen Moreau can keep it or he can spit it out. Michigan called timeout. They saw what they were in. So Bama went back, came out, and it looked like Bama was going to run the same play, but the back and the tight end lined up on the same side. 
you can't really run that play when the back and the tight end are lined up on the same side pre-snap. And then you saw Bama take that timeout, and Nick Saban was going nuts on the sideline. I think they lined up wrong, and they were going to run that play. So then when they came back, they're like, well, hell, we showed it to them twice, and they just made the decision, we are going to live or die with our, with our best player, which Jalen Monroe is their best player on offense, running the ball. And if he actually followed his pullers, because it's a power play, I think he would have had a pretty decent chance to score. But what I think in his mind happened was a couple plays before that. Uh, uh, you remember he had that had that cue counter where he just ran through everybody in the middle, just almost like he just closed his eyes and bullied <laughs> his way down inside the five. I think he tried to do that again, uh, and he just ran into a wall. So I, I don't hate the play call by any stretch of the imagination, but I would have loved. I would have tried to give Jalen Monroe an out with some sort of RPO. I would have tried to run bluff. Hey, if the edge player gets too wide, take it up underneath. If they want to come and tighten down, spit it out. You got a two-way go. Uh, but no, I don't hate the call. I, I really don't. I hate the game plan. I hate mm. that, but I don't hate the call. So, Jake, where does Alabama go from here now? You know, we know Jalen Milrow's back next year. Nick Saban, I don't think, is near retirement anytime soon. He seems like he's chipper as ever. So, I mean, you know, is it is it the is it adding an offensive line that's capable of protecting their quarterback? Is it adding another run stopper? Like, like obviously, you know, get to the college ball playoff. That's not a good enough season in Tuscaloosa if you don't win at all. So where do you see Bama going from here? They, they've obviously got to get the offensive line figured out that surrendered 44 sacks this past season. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be really good. I mean, look, look at look at what they bring back. Uh, look at what they're able to do in the transfer portal. Look at what they do in recruiting. It's not – it's not how talented Alabama's going to be. We know they're going to be super talented. It's can they, kind of like you alluded to, plug enough holes in the ship uh, to be able to fix the problems they had the year before. Now, you lose a decent amount in the secondary, but you also have recruited at an unbelievably elite level. You still got downs. You've got guys that we've seen before. So Alabama's not going anywhere. It's a 12-team playoff. They're going to get in the playoff. But as long as Nick Saban is at Alabama – um, you know, it's a, they make it a lot easier to prognosticate what's going to happen. Now, Jake, to the other college football playoff game, the Sugar Bowl, Texas and Washington, a thriller, like you mentioned, a little bit different way, though, with the offensive shootout. Michael Penix Jr. is a wizard. Guy has a rocket on his left shoulder in Texas. Kind of went quiet in that third quarter, and it cost him. Your thoughts on that ball game? A game that, again, literally came down to the wire. Texas down there inside the red zone. Chance to win it on the last play and just couldn't get it done. Yeah, just a, just another incredible game. Um, you know, you, you look at – I was just in awe of, of Michael Penix, the way he operates. It, it's not just the throws he makes. It's how he gets his body in position within the pocket to make those throws. You know, we always <coughs> – excuse me, talk about quarterbacks, how impressive it is that they can extend the play on the outside and, oh, he breaks a tackle and he's outside the pocket and finds somebody deep, something that, that Jalen Moreau did a lot of. But there's a beauty and an art form and to being able to extend the play from within the pocket. And that's why I think Michael Penix should be the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft. He has the best pocket presence. He has one of the quickest releases. And he can make every single throw on the board. And it's not even close. The hashes get wider who or tighter. Who cares? I mean, the dude can throw it from one in the field to the other like it's nothing. But the difference, what separates the Michael Penixes from the Joe Miltons is that Michael Penix just doesn't have the fastball. 
He's got the curveball. He's got the changeup. He's got the split. He can he can make every single throw. The nuanced throws. That's why it's called passing and not throwing. That's the difference. So I was in awe of him and, and what they have at wide receiver. You know, I thought in the first half Texas got got a little bit too imaginative on offense and should have just run the ball. Like Texas was dominating running the ball. That's why I'm looking at this matchup against Michigan. And if I'm Michigan, why would I not just run it and keep Michael Penix's ass over on the side with this new clock rule? Like, I would much rather you have to score six out of eight drives to be able to beat me and have to have that narrow window to be able to have, well, you know, 13, 14 attempts at it. You give that group that many attempts, they're going to score a lot of points because they're that talented. But I thought Michigan got away from the run a little bit, got back to it, and then fumbled the ball. Uh, in the in the second half, that game was was always going to come down to the final possession. But I think you saw a team in Washington that once again was more experienced than the Texas team they were playing. So look, Texas is going to be fine with what they returned. Uh, it was it was good to see them back. Um, but I mean, th- this Washington team, you know, I said this on Cranic Company this morning, Chris. They're the most physical finesse team I've ever seen. That's the best way I can put it. The, that's, that's the best way I can possibly put it. They're the most physical finesse team that I've ever seen. To your point, Jake, about the time of possession, Washington won that 36 minutes to 23 minutes. So they controlled that game for the most part, like you mentioned, if Texas' game plan was to keep the ball out of Michael Penix's hands. Yeah. They did not accomplish that, to say the least. You just mentioned, Jake, I want to hit this too. I know I'm asking a lot of questions, looking way too far ahead, but that's kind of what we do, right, as sports fans. Uh, you know, Texas falls in the college ball playoff, but all in all, I would have to say a successful season in Austin. You mentioned getting over the hump, you know, Texas getting back to a position like this. How do you feel now they're set up, obviously, going into the SEC first year upcoming in 2024? I, I know from some, you know, SEC fans, maybe there's still some speculation. You know, they are, are they actually going to be that good in the SEC versus the Big 12? How do you feel like they're set up to carry this momentum and carry the success from 2023 into next year? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of like I talked about earlier. There seems to be this similar track toward getting to the top. And, and you, look at, you look at a team like Georgia, right? They got there, didn't win it. Got there, didn't win it. Finally won it, right? Michigan got there, didn't win it. Got there, didn't win it. Have a chance now to win it. Texas just got there, right? You return a lot on the offensive line. You obviously return Quinn Ewers. They're recruiting at a very high level. It's, it's Texas. Do, do I think they're going to come in and dominate the SEC? No. Uh, would I be shocked if they came in and had a really good year one with what they returned? Yes. But I'm looking at this thing in, in cycles, man. I mean, football's cyclical. I think uh, I think we have a bad habit of, of kind of, you know, thinking this is the way it's going to be forever. Texas is going to be able to compete in the SEC because they have money, that they have resources, uh, that they have the ability to be able to do it. Now they've got made, it, made the college football playoff. Sark has another kind of arrow in his quiver. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be in the running year one just because they're going to have more continuity than a lot of teams. Jake, let's move to the best of the rest of bowl season in the SEC. Let's start with the Orange Bowl, which maybe wasn't the best. It was just a downright butt-whooping Georgia, 63-3 to over Florida State. Um, what did you take away from that game? You know, I, I, I thought, Jake, you know, while I understand and I still agree that, you know, if you say that Florida State got screwed by the committee, I don't disagree with you because they were an undefeated Power 5 champion, but I thought not enough was made of, you know, both teams had an option of whether they wanted to play in the game or not. Georgia had, in my mind, as little to play for, maybe less to play for than Florida State. 
and their guys chose to play, and FSU's guys didn't, and they beat their ass. I mean, I just – you know what I mean? So I, I, I was more so – and maybe this is some of my SEC bias starting to creep in, but I was just more so impressed with Georgia than I was feeling bad for Florida State anyway. Your thoughts in that game that effectively was over at halftime? Yeah. Well, Rube Tank, I don't I don't know who you are, but he said I'm a turd. I, is that the Alabama fan description of it? Because if that's the case, buddy, uh, you're, you could not be further from the truth. Um, here's what I think. I think you got to give Georgia their flowers. Uh, they obviously showed up. I mean, they played FSU's practice squad. I mean, that's that's who they played, and, and they beat him to death. It's hard to beat anybody, 63-3. to three. But let's not pretend that, that this was any sort of matchup that was somewhat close. I think Georgia did have more to play for, right? They have pretty much a lot of guys coming back, including Carson Beck. I mean, Jordan Travis is gone. Keon Coleman is gone. I, I, I laugh when people say, oh, Florida State must have bad culture. You don't have bad culture and go 13-0. and 0. And you did it with a lot of guys that came in from the transfer portal. There were a lot of mercenaries on Florida State's team. So are you shocked that, that when you brought in mercenaries, that when you're not playing for a championship after you just went 13-0, and 0, that they opt out? Like, we live in the age of opt-outs now. This isn't 2003. Georgia had a lot of – and you know what? Bryce Young played and Will Anderson Jr. played, and that's great. But, but every circumstance is different. I, I laugh when you say you – if it was me, I wouldn't have played in the game. I said this when it happened. We went 13-0. and 0. I, I don't care. There it is. 13-0 and 0 in a Power 5 conference. We beat two SEC teams, right? One on the road, the other in a neutral site. We won our conference championship in a Power 5 conference. So you mean to tell me that I owe you something now after I, you kept me ranked in the top four all the way until the last day to, because it's a TV show. We go undefeated. We're perfect with backup quarterback, with a third-string quarterback, which shows great culture to me. Because other guys could have folded the tent after Jordan Travis went out and said, oh, well, we're not going to win it anyway. We might as well not play. That's not what happened. So you mean to tell me I go 13-0 in a Power 5 conference and I don't get rewarded. But now, now I'm going to go play in a bowl game that doesn't mean nothing. So now I, now I get to go prove it? No. I proved it to your ass 13 times in a Power 5 conference. So it, it's not a feel bad for Florida State. I don't blame Florida State, those guys, for not playing some of them. I, I don't at all. Like, it'd be different if this was an even circumstance. John Edward, I was asked about it, dog. Like, what do you mean? Like, follow the bouncing balls here, bro. Like, it, it, it wasn't a 12-1 and team and a 12-1 and team and one got left out, right? That, that I can understand that argument. That This wasn't the case. So, um, Georgia deserves their flowers. They beat the hell out of Florida State. Uh, but we, we do have to understand that, that Georgia, with what they returned, was playing with a lot more than what Florida State actually had to return because a lot of them were mercenaries from the transfer portal. So we got to look at the circumstance. So, Jake, to piggyback off that, because I saw, and I'm sure you did as well, a lot of Florida State chatter last night after that Rose Bowl. Uh, FSU fans upset saying that, you know, thank goodness they didn't put FSU in because maybe their quarterback would have thrown for 116 yards and the game would have went to overtime. Oh, wait, that's what happened. Did Florida State fans, do you agree, do you think they had a legitimate gripe after watching that game last night? I mean, I think you had a legitimate gripe in the first place, like regardless of how the game went. Like, it ended up being a hell of a game. You knew it was going to be. Nobody's saying Alabama's bad. Like, I I thought, in, in my opinion, that I would probably, on a neutral field, bet on Alabama to beat Florida State, even with Georgia Travis. But, Jordan Travis. But, the case was... Florida State was undefeated, right? You kept him in the top four. It didn't drop him. You kept him in the top four the whole time. 
They did everything they were supposed to do. And then you dropped them at the end for a team that had a loss. Th- that's my problem. Now, I think Michigan would have beat Florida State. But after watching that last night, if all Florida State's guys played with Tate Rodemaker playing, you mean to tell me you don't think Florida State couldn't have scored a couple points? That Florida State's defense is pretty damn good. And I, I'll be honest with you, I thought J.J. McCarthy played awful last night. I didn't think he played very well. Outside of the, the one-handed catch and then the throw on the trick play, I thought he was very, very average. And obviously, Jalen Milrow was very average. Brock Glenn threw for more yards than Jalen Milrow. But at the end of the day, it, the, the pooch was screwed from the beginning. So it doesn't matter. So, Jake, back to the Orange Bowl discussion, and I thought it was really interesting yesterday. I'm not sure if you saw this watching College Game Day, Kirk Herbstreit, which I I think he was, you could tell he was speaking out of somewhat of emotion and expressing frustration. You know, the question then turned to, okay, well, how do we fix it? How do you fix bowl season? And so many of us that love college football, the history of college football, love these bowl games, and it's weird to think they, quote-unquote, mean nothing, but with the playoff, that's kind of the point we've reached. But Kirk Herbstreit spoke on it and said, hey, Guys are opting out, and we're, we're questioning the commitment level, or do they care, or what have you. Let's just have the playoff and have no more bowl games. I, I think that might have been an extreme take from him, but how do we fix it? How do we ensure that what happened in the Orange Bowl never happens again? Well, I don't think you can now. I, I think you're, you're you know, a, this is the problem the NFL has. They're trying to control the uncontrollables. The, the only two ways you're going to make bowl games important are you keep expanding the playoff, which that obviously makes more bowl games more important because you're playing for a championship. Or two, you, you got to have some sort of monetary game, and that's not going to happen. So I, I have a couple ideas. I don't think we need bowl tie-ins. I think we should play the bowls the, the two weeks after the, the regular season. Like, I don't think we should sit here and wait all this time for all these bowls. Like, I, I think we should have some sort of, of – you know, fun rule change or, or some, like legal celebrations in bowl games and stuff like that, like they have in the NFL. But outside of money or expanding the playoff, you're not going to make these bowl games important again. Like, like you're just, you're, you're not. That's the reality we live in. So I don't want them to end, right? But I think the biggest problem that people have with this, um, this one is because it wasn't the, the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Like it was the Orange Bowl. It was the New Year's Six game. That's why you're hearing this outcry. It's amazing. I don't hear that same outcry about the guys that set out for Ohio, you know, in the third bowl guy in the in the ChristianMingle.com bowl or whatever it was. Like I never hear I don't hear any complaining about that one. But since it was the orange bowl, I just I don't think you're gonna be able to do it. But I don't think you're gonna have this same circumstance with an undefeated power five team. Now you'll have a team that's pissed off they didn't get the twelfth spot. But, you know, technically would they be playing in the New Year's six game? You know what's funny, Jake, I think about the conversation, too, is I, I I genuinely don't think bowl season necessarily is going anywhere because people still watch the games. I mean, I just – I find myself watching pretty much all of them. Maybe maybe I shouldn't speak for the majority, but it just – it I don't know. Like, it's – especially that year – that week in between Christmas and New Year, there's nothing else going on. And, like, they have done a really good job on capitalizing that everybody's home, chilling for the holidays. Let's throw a bunch of bowl games yeah. on. It doesn't matter if they're – a 10 on the entertainment scale or a one, people are going to tune in for the most part. So, well, well, it's, it's like that blue magic, man. They just, they, they, you know, football ends for a little bit and then they just, mm. then they just slow drip it. <laughs> so you're like, God, like all day, you're like, man, I cannot wait to watch Ohio and Wyoming play, man. I can't wait. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're used to getting, you know, everything, all this stuff every weekend. You got Thursday uh, night football, Friday, obviously, Maction, Fun Bell. Then it just ends. 
And they're like, hey, man, what do you think about a little San Diego State and Kent State all up in your face? Jake, let's go back to the Peach Bowl and Cotton Bowl. Ole Miss getting a huge win over Penn State. Missouri, a big win over Ohio State. Of those two teams, because both reach 11 wins, both go into the offseason with tons of momentum now, both cap off really special years. Uh, talk about those two games and maybe who impressed you more from those two performances. If you watch Crane and Company, you made some money off those. Uh, I, I mean, Ole Miss, I, I think, impressed me more just because it was going to be hard for Missouri to do that. Now, I know that Ohio State didn't have as many opt-outs as some people thought, but, but there was obviously some big pieces missing from Ohio State, including the quarterback, and it ended up being the third-string quarterback uh, coming in you know, to try and save them. They really couldn't throw the ball, but it, it was impressive nonetheless. But Ole Miss, especially the way the game started, because if you go back, Ole Miss was getting pushed around at the beginning of that game. I mean, absolutely shoved that first drive by Penn State. I mean, uh, those guys weren't getting touched. Singleton, those guys weren't getting touched for literally the first 10 yards. Uh, and, and I was like, this this may get ugly for Ole Miss if they can't stop this, but they found a way to hold them to a field goal. The offense got rocking and rolling. But I look at, at the way Ole Miss won, the way they were able to finish, the plays they were able to make on the outside. Lane cared about the game, which I thought was important. Uh, but you add that momentum with what they're bringing in from the transfer portal. I still think the best sign from Ole Miss during that, that bowl game was the graphic of the players from the transfer portal. That's the thing that should give you the most hope. I mean, you look. I mean, Tyler Barron, Walter Nolan, Juice Wells, which y'all know very well. I mean, I'm looking at Ole Miss right now. I don't know how they're not preseason top five, man. I mean, your two losses this year were at Georgia and at Bama. I mean, you look at their schedule next year. It's one of the lighter ones in the SEC with 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 the uh, you know getting getting away from divisions. So I tell you, man, I was I was impressed with both. Congrats to Drink, big dub for them. But I look at Ole Miss, man, they're a problem. Going back to the games yesterday, Jake, you know, I think what you saw yesterday, too, is one of the the beautiful parts of bowl season is that guys can get opportunities, whether it be guys that were backups all year long or whatever it might be, and they get an opportunity to shine, and when it works out well, it's a great thing. LSU and Tennessee both experienced that. Obviously, Garrett Nussmeyer taking over at quarterback with Jaden Daniels, opt-out, and then Nico Iamalieva taking over as QB1 for Tennessee. Both shined. Garrett Nussmeyer was incredible in that shootout overcoming a terrible defense yet again, which it's a miracle that that team won 10 games with that defense. Uh, and then Tennessee just taking Iowa to the woodshed. You know, I, I had admittedly, Jake, not watched an Iowa game all that extensively this year. I mean, the only knowledge I had of Iowa was just bet the under every week. And I'm Smart. glad to say the under hit again, barely, but it did. Um, but Iowa was just horrific offensively. I, I, I don't know. It's It's – that quarterback, I'm not convinced his shoes weren't like 100 pounds each the way he was running around in the pocket. Either way, though, what'd you take away from those two teams? Again, two new quarterbacks. I, I call Nussmeyer new. He's been around the block a while. But those two guys get opportunities. I think both fan bases have a reason to feel really optimistic about what they have going into next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the biggest you know, travesties this year is, is that LSU's defense was so egregious, we didn't get to see that offense in the college football playoff. Uh, th that offense was incredible with what Jaden Daniels was doing. Can you imagine him in, in, in this matchup uh, against the guys you, you, you'd be playing against? I mean, it, it just it, it's a shame uh, with Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. And, and Mason Taylor and those guys. But I thought Nuss did a good job, especially once he settled in. I mean, he hadn't started a game in a while, like a lot since high school, like started one. Remember, he came in, uh, I believe, uh, in the SEC championship against Georgia last year after Jaden Daniels got hurt. But he was the guy, a little nervous early. I thought LSU – 
Wisconsin was giving up a lot underneath. They wanted to keep everything in front of them. But that still doesn't mean you don't take shots, right? And I thought LSU finally started taking some shots in the second half. But Tanner Mordecai, I mean, again, LSU's defense made a lot of offenses look look confident. Uh, a lot of offenses. But I thought Tanner Mordecai finally looked like what we thought Tanner Mordecai was going to be at Wisconsin this year in, the, in that Phil Longo system uh, with Luke Fickle there as the head coach. I was impressed with LSU, but we knew we knew a, a, a little bit about Nesmeyer. We know how good LSU was on offense. Um, I, I was I was just interested to see defensively how LSU played, and, man, it, it, it wasn't much better. And then you look at Tennessee, I'm just – I understand why Joe Milton started, right? You don't, you don't want to start a freshman, a young guy in the SEC. I get it. But after you realize what, you know, Joe Milton was who you thought he was, who a lot of us thought he was, not this superstar that we got absolutely plastered on on every screen in the world before the season because he hit a golf cart at the Manning Passing Academy. But once you figured that out, I, I'm surprised after watching Nico, and we've been fooled before in bowl games. Hell, Joe Milton himself fooled a lot of people last year against Clemson. But we, how, how you don't play this kid more? I mean, he's got a chance to be special, like special, special. Watching the way he's able to run and change direction as long as he is, very rarely do you see that. And he's a very competent thrower. But by not playing him, you robbed him of some very important experience. And you robbed him from being able to make some very valuable mistakes. This is what I said about Jackson Arnold in Oklahoma. Everybody's down on Oklahoma. Jackson Arnold put a lot of mistakes on tape. And as a young guy, that's that's not an awful thing. Now, you never want to screw up. You always want to play great. But you want to be able to make those mistakes during the offseason. And this next year coming into it, you say, Nico, hey, here's our game tape from last year. Here's where we got to improve. And here's why. Here's what you saw. Here's what you thought. Here's where we got to improve. Because, again, experience is the unteachable and tangible. So when I look at this, this Josh Heupel-led offense for two straight years now, you looked at Joe Milton and you said, you're better than Hendon Hooker. Wrong. You looked at Joe Milton, you're better than Nico. We'll see. But, man, at some point, like, what do you see? You see the same thing that Jimbo saw when Haynes King was throwing like a kid off a Disney sports movie. <laughs> like, I don't know what you guys are looking at. Finally, Jake, before we get you out of here, we, we got to talk about the Music City Bowl, man, the Auburn Tigers. Please tell Ugh. me that Auburn is going no, out we to the quarterback. We, we don't have to talk about, talk about it. Again, there's some of these games where you can tell that maybe the uh, – one of yeah, the Liberty. You, you can tell one of the teams maybe isn't quite that interested in – and get, give Maryland credit, by the way. I think Mike yeah. Lockley's actually got a really good team. Maryland was sneaky good this year. But uh, and, and I don't think – you know, a, a win or loss in the bowl game, I, I think year one of the Hugh Freeze era, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I would say it was maybe success is too strong of a word. I, I mean, I thought getting to a bowl game in year one would be a good year. But – What's the mood now, would you say? Has it changed drastically after the bowl game amongst Auburn Auburn fans and outlook going into year two now for them? Well, I, I mean, you look at recruiting. You obviously had a big signing day. You look mm -hmm. at Auburn's class, especially in that wide receiver group. Uh, there was a lot of people that were happy in that bowl game. was just a dud. So, yeah, it's, it's going to bring people down. You lose that momentum. He didn't show up. Like, I think he's still trimming the fat in that locker room, which takes time. You know, it takes time. And sometimes – you know, it's I, I wouldn't even say Auburn was average. I never they were below average. Uh, th that was a game where one team wanted to be there. I mean, you let Ed Sheeran, a quarterback for Maryland, come out there and bully you <laughs> for the two straight drives while he's sing singing about a photograph or something all the way down the field. Uh, but it was like that the whole game. It's just this 
This Auburn team, you obviously got to have the players to be able to win. We know that. But they've got to develop a clutch gene. Like, in, by bringing in good players, confident guys, that kind of takes care of itself. But Auburn's got a bad problem right now. If there's a way, it's like Murphy's Law. If something can go wrong, it will. Like, for Auburn, it's right now it's, it's Auburn's Law. It's, if there's a chance to screw up a golden opportunity, best believe we're going to blow it. And you've got to get that out of you. Like, you get that out by getting bad players away. Um, and, and I think it, bad players aren't just guys who aren't good on the field, aren't as good as who they're playing against. It's the guys who are, are locker room cancers. Th- those are the guys that are program killers. Uh, so I, I think Auburn's going to continue to get rid of those guys. And, look, I mean, Phil Montgomery, I mean, if you were going to rob Auburn, there's a lot of banks. You could have made this a lot quicker, uh, you know, instead of doing what you're doing uh, as the OC. I mean, Hugh Freeze talked about how he was really involved in recruiting and, and not involved in the game planning. Well, brother, I'd, I'd, I'd start getting involved in the, ga- the, the game planning because that was an absolute sickening disaster mm-hmm. from Auburn. But you got to give Maryland credit. They wanted to be there. They were the more mature team. They, were, they had more pride in what was on the front of their jersey, and it showed. Do you want Auburn to go get a quarterback, Jake? If he's out there, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. trust Peyton Thorne. I don't, and listen, Auburn has problems outside of Peyton Thorne. It's not just Peyton Thorne. I just don't – this guy doesn't run well enough to throw as bad as he, he does. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like Nick Marshall wasn't the greatest passer of all time. But he was so electric running, everybody's just scared to death. So he got, like, automatic opportunities. I can just – and, look, I'm sure Peyton Thorne's a great guy. He seems like a great guy, right? It's like somebody you'd want your daughter to marry. I just don't want him playing quarterback at Auburn. I don't trust him. I just, I just can see it in him. I just don't trust him. And you don't, you're just, you're very average at both things. Like, it, he needs a lot of help around him, right, to, to be able to have a chance to, to beat anybody like, like, of, of substance. Not the teams you're supposed to beat. Peyton Thorne's going to beat most of the teams he's supposed to beat. But would I take Diego Pavia at New Mexico State over him? Probably. I think that kid's got some, got some more dog in him. I just think Peyton Thorne is, it's like a great coach one sentence, like you're a bobblehead quarterback. Just it's on the sidelines. It's just what he is right there. <laughs> Jake Crane of Crane and Company. Jake, one last thing, and I promise I'll get you out of here. I know you guys will have a lot of coverage on Crane and Company for the College Football National Championship. Uh, your thoughts on this ball game, not necessarily from the schematic side or even a prediction, but just from your your interest level in the ball game. First time since 2014, we do not have, or I guess first time ever, we don't have an SEC team in the final. Michigan, Washington's a little bit different, different flavor than we're used to. Your, your thoughts on the intrigue level, and I guess what intrigues you most about this matchup? Well, man, I I, I haven't been excited about you know as, as much about a battle of the North since Game of Thrones. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty, <laughs> I think it's a pretty interesting matchup, man. I think you got yeah, two experienced yeah. teams that that go about it different ways. I love seeing stylistically, um, you know, the, the way it matches up. Like you, you have a team that's more downhill, right, that, that's more heavier personnel. It's a team that likes to spread it out, that passes the run, but, but can be physical. And then they're both old. Um, so I, I think it's a fantastic matchup, man. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I, I love football in general. But uh, something's got to give here, man. Something's got to give. I, I think it's going to come down to, to Michigan's ability to be able to run the ball and keep Michael Penix on the sideline, which, again, I, I think they can do, right? I, I, I think they can do that against this Washington team. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to be covering it all week. We previewed it today, um, you know, recapped the games, 
kind of went went through the uh, the other bowl games as well. But yeah, I mean, it's the biggest game all year. Of course, we're going to be looking forward to. And we're actually going to live stream it on Monday from the studio. So I'm excited about that. Very good. Jake Crane of Crane and Company. Jake, always a pleasure, my friend. Happy New Year to you, by the way, and looking forward to uh, many more electric conversations with you in 2024, man. You guys keep it the good work. Oh, you too, man. Congrats uh, on the on the new look. It's it's fantastic and uh, really excited for you and, and excited to join you, man. Good luck. Uh, good luck to, to the team, the fans of Washington and Michigan. You're out there and, and I know uh, South Carolina, too. We'll, we'll see with Shane Beamer. It should be interesting. Jake, I appreciate you, man. We'll talk soon. See ya.